Hey everyone, it's Father Pat, here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings today are from the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. A reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth of Mamre, and as he sat in the entrance of his tent while the day was growing hot, looking up, Abraham saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance to the tent to greet them, and bowing to the ground, he said, Sir, if I may, if I may ask you this favor, please do not go on past your servant. Let some water be brought, that you may bathe your feet, and then rest yourselves under the tree. Now that you have come this close to your servant, let me bring you a little food that you may refresh yourselves, and afterward you may go on your way. The men replied, Very well, do as you have said. Abraham hastened into the tent and told Sarah, Quick, three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make rolls. He ran to the herd, picked out a tender, choice steer, and gave it to a servant who quickly prepared it. Then Abraham got some curds and milk, as well as the steer that had been prepared, and set these before the three men, and he waited on them under the tree while they ate. They asked Abraham, Where is your wife Sarah? He replied, There in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah then will have a son. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. One who walks blamelessly and does justice, who thinks the truth in his heart and slanders not with his tongue. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. Who harms not his fellow man, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, by whom the reprobate is despised, while he honors those who fear the Lord. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. Who lends not his money at usury, and accepts no bribe against the innocent. One who does these things shall never be disturbed. He who does justice will live in the presence of the Lord. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Brothers and sisters, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church, of which I am a minister in accordance with God's stewardship given to me, to bring to completion for you the word of God, the mystery hidden from ages and from generations past. But now it has been manifested to his holy ones, to whom God chose to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. It is Christ in you, the hope for glory. It is he whom we proclaim, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary, who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and will not be taken from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Until just the other day, I never dreamed that I would count the late Jimi Hendrix as among my teachers. Now, I'm not a good guitar, I'm not a guitar player, and, and I don't know anything about music. Hendrix is considered, however, by many to be the greatest electric guitar player of all time. Although his music career lasted only about five years, he was, in his day, the highest paid rock musician on the planet. But that's not how he ended up as my teacher. I was taking a walk the other day, and I saw a sign on someone's front lawn that read, When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. When I got back to the house, I googled the phrase, and it's attributed to Jimi Hendrix. The more I researched it, I found out that Hendrix probably didn't say it, or at least he wasn't the first to say it. It can be traced back to a man by the name of William, William Gladstone, who was prime minister of the UK for uh, about 12 years in the 19th century. I love the quote, though, because it captures the essence of my own experience in, in these past couple of years, that much of life's struggles are rooted in a competition for power. One person or one entity wielding control over another and losing any sense of justice or love in the process. The truth is that whether Hendrix ever said it or not, the fact that it is attributed to him probably is why it ended up on that sign. No disrespect to the homeowner, but it's highly unlikely that he or she has ever even heard of William Gladstone. So Hendrix deserves a little credit at least, but it led me to look further into Hendrix himself, who I knew really nothing about. In brief, I discovered a man with an awful childhood raised by alcoholic parents in a, in a violent uh, relationship with each other and, and probably with their son, uh, who were often, uh, uh, who, and, and Hendrix, uh, the, the young, as a young boy, was often separated from his siblings. Uh, Hendrix never graduated high school, but somehow in the midst of all the chaos of his uh, childhood, he essentially taught himself how to play guitar, which became the most important thing in his life. Uh, he spent just a little bit of time in the military. It wasn't really that successful. He was discharged uh, and began his music career. And as I said, in five years, he became famous worldwide. Sadly, however, his, his life um, ended in 1970 when he died of a drug overdose, uh, becoming forever a member of the infamous 27 Club, musicians who uh, include Brian Jones, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison, who died at the age of 27. Jimi Hendrix never set out to be my teacher, but he is my teacher nonetheless. On the surface, I, I credit him with a modern proverb that gives me wisdom, but, but I also see in him the precious potential value of every human life and the sadness for all of us when a life is not nurtured and treasured either by others or by the person himself. For that, Hendrix gets an honorary PhD on my personal life faculty. Okay, now, believe it or not, all of this does have something to do with today's scriptures. While there are perhaps an infinite number of profound insights packed in any small part of God's Word, what strikes me today are the teachers that I meet in our readings, none of whom, like Jimi Hendrix, set out to be teachers. In our first reading, we meet Abraham, who instructs us in extraordinary hospitality. When three mysterious strangers appear in his midst, Abraham and Sarah host uh, quite a feast, actually. They make rolls from what we are told uh, are about, uh, it says three large measures, I think, which, which apparently equates to about 40 to 60 pounds of flour. So it's a lot of rolls, right? And he kills a steer, steers uh, weigh roughly 500 pounds on average, and roasting its meat. So that's kind of a lot of meat and rolls for, for a midday snack. Now, Abraham doesn't know that his visitors, who are never, who are never really identified, 
are either angels of God or perhaps God himself in Trinitarian form, three, three strangers. What Abraham does know is that these strangers are, merely by existing, worthy of great respect. He knows somehow that every personal encounter with someone is an opportunity to learn something, however unexpected. This encounter leads, in fact, to an understanding that God can do anything and will do anything to honor his faithful ones, because Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's miracle child, will soon follow. Our gospel reading uh, continues on that theme of hospitality as Jesus visits with his friends, Martha and Mary, and benefits from their attention. We might say that Martha is the typical older sister, doing her duty, taking care of what must be done, while Mary's a little bit more relaxed, right, willing to let Martha handle the heavy labor while she concentrates on the social aspect of things. I wonder if Prince William and or Prince Harry ever reflect on this passage. Anyway, this passage is often interpreted to suggest that uh, the way of Mary, who represents the contemplative life, the, the life of prayer, is superior to the way of Martha, who models the active life. But that's not really supported by Jesus's own ministry, is it? Jesus doesn't spend all of his day in prayer, does he? It's, he's quite active, in fact, healing, preaching, reaching out to the margins, while always making time, of course, for intimate conversation with his father in prayer. In fact, while the English translation, uh, Jesus um, says that Mary has chosen the better part, uh, I'm told that a more accurate translation uh, from the Greek into the into English is that that she has chosen the good part. So it's not that it's not that Mary Mary's what Mary's doing is is uh, is better, but but it's it's the good part of the task. M Martha has chosen to be task oriented, right? Con concentrating on the task at hand, while Mary is focused on the relationship with her guest. Right? She, she's, she's focused on her guest rather than whether than the task to you know that's being done for the guest. Martha can still prepare the food, but rejoice in the attention her work gives to Jesus. She can learn from her labor and from her sister's disposition and from Jesus's words. But instead, she's caught up in anger and resentment, and it doesn't need to be that way. Mary recognizes the teachers in her midst, while Martha, at least for the moment, does not. St. Paul, in our second reading, writes to the Colossians from jail, but, but he's not discouraged. He doesn't sound down at all. He, he sees, actually, in his trials an opportunity. He says he's, his sufferings are filling up what is lacking in the afflictions uh, of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul is not suggesting that Jesus' sacrifice is insufficient. What is still in process, though, is the transformation of the church into the Lord's body by conformity to his suffering. And so Paul is not concerned about what he is experiencing, but in how the experience makes him and the church more like Christ. So, so that's why that he, he can rejoice in his suffering, right? Because he knows that he's being transformed, he's being made more like Christ, and, and because he is part of the body, right, the church is becoming more like Christ. What Paul probably doesn't grasp is that he, by his example, is teaching all those who read his letters about the value of suffering and all those who meet him and see how he handles his challenges. He's teaching them about the value of suffering. His words, of course, are the basis for much of our Catholic theology, but his actions demonstrate what that theology looks like in the flesh. 
The truth is that every moment of our lives offers opportunities to learn something from others while allowing others to learn from us. I realize that. The, the longer I live and the longer I'm a priest, that, that my, my teaching, quote-unquote, is enriched by what I have learned from my own experience and from observing others. My recent experience as, as a victim of false accusations is, is no exception. For many years, as a priest and a faithful Catholic, I've spoken with those who feel, who feel rejected by the church, which in our hypersexualized culture that we're, we live in today usually has something to do with matters related to marriage or sexuality or, and, and now, most recently, gender. And, and in my conversations with those people, I've always assured them that they're loved, respected, and welcomed by the church, that the church teaches love and respect and welcoming to them. And, and in, in saying that to them, I was completely sincere in my words. And then I found myself feeling the very same way, rejected and unwelcome in the only church family I have ever known. The love of power and the power of love are in conflict. It, it, it's an education, perhaps, that, that, that maybe I could get in no other way than to have experienced it myself. To join St. Paul in prison, although a prison built of different walls, it's my own personal doctoral program. And as I experience it, and as I meditate upon it, I find that I am also teaching, whether I choose to teach or not. Because people are watching, and people are listening. So, keep your eyes and your ears open. Offer hospitality to both friends and strangers in the university campus of your life, rather than, like Martha, being anxious and worried about many things. There's much to learn and much to teach for those eager to faithfully follow where the Lord will lead. I'll leave you with this quote from Bishop Donald Hying, uh, which is part of his book, or from his book, Love Never Fails. He says, Jesus understood well that true power must always serve the needs of others in love and humility, and that we are only entrusted with talents, gifts, authority, knowledge, and wealth so that we can become servant leaders who bring others to the fullness of their human potential by our own witness to holiness, love, humility, and service. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a great day. 